and I are going to be electronic devices. I'm a child of God. Have in my hand. Powerful Word of God. Can change lives. Heal broken hearts. Save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now look at your neighbor and say, we're done, we done with the Old Testament. Because that's true. <laughs> today, today's story in our series will complete the Old Testament. It only took us 21 weeks to do that. Isn't that amazing? Ever see the movie The Truman Show? Many of you ever see that? Jim Carrey played Truman Burbank, an insurance salesman living in the quiet village of Seahaven. He begins to think there is more to life than it appears and comes to find out that there is. Because unbeknownst to him, he is starring in the top-rated reality TV show. There was more to his story than he was actually aware of, which begs the question, what if there is more to life? More to life here than we can see. In fact, stories like these are written in a quest to understand what we've been talking about is the lower story and the upper story of God's story. So I want to welcome you today. Those Bibles you held up, I want you to look in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is one of the smaller men in the Bible, affectionately known as Nehemiah. He's akin to the other one, Bildad the shoe height. But the smallest of all was the guard who slept on his watch. Well, I'm glad two or three of you are paying attention. This is awesome. But in this story, like most stories we're gonna, we've read so far in our series, the story, what is seen and what's in the upper story may not necessarily be clear. And as I said, we're wrapping up the Old Testament section. Let me try to review 21 weeks for you quickly. We studied creation where God literally brought heaven down to earth. Then we learned about Abraham. God said, I would make a great nation from your offspring, of which he had two. So he had two offspring, but only one that God really intended for him to have. He had the second one because he and Sarah got ahead of God. Any of you stricken with that affliction where you try to get ahead of God? God's not moving fast enough, so you're going to help him out? Yeah, Yeah, Tina, thank you for being honest. We all raise our hand, don't we? Then you fast forward to Joseph. Joseph becomes the first real picture of Jesus. Actually, all of them are, but Joseph really embodies that. And Joseph saves the nation of Israel from famine. And we've seen a number of times in our study so far where God has saved the nation of Israel. Though they've been disobedient, God still saved them in some way. Then comes Moses. God's delivering his nation, getting them out of bondage in Egypt. He then establishes standards for them to follow. 
They're, they're called the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. Commandment is different than suggestion. Amen? But He gives them a place to live. He gives them atonement and He describes that. Then we fast forward to the judges. And in spite of sin and disobedience, God is faithful to His people. Then we have the kings come on the scene. God wants His people to be different. He wants them to reflect His character. The kingdom divides and the prophets then are sent. And the prophets tell them in a nutshell, no one should be on the throne of their heart but Almighty God. I think that's the same message that resonates with us today. So God should be the only one on the throne of our hearts. Would you say Amen. So every story about God's passion to live with Him forever and do whatever it takes, He's shown us to get us back. And He's pointing us all the time through each of these stories, 21 weeks, He's pointing us to the need for a Savior. Timeline-wise, you got 606 B.C. Judah is taken captive by Babylon. In 536 B.C., Zerubbabel leads Group A on the return to Jerusalem. The temple has started to be rebuilt. It's been leveled. It's not good for the Jews to have the temple laying in ruins. 478 B.C., we see the story of Esther. She becomes the queen. Quite an interesting turn of events that got her into that position. And then in 457 B.C., Ezra leads group B to back to Jerusalem. And then in 444, and, and by the way, the uh, temple is finished, but in 444, Nehemiah leads group C back to rebuild the walls. It was one thing to have the temple built, but it was another thing not to be able to protect it. The walls had been destroyed and it had been 90 years and the walls were still laying in ruin. And it spoke poorly of the Israelites. And it spoke poor, poorly of their God, by the way. Because see, when we are poor and our behavior is poor, it's a reflection on the God that we say we serve. So when you say, I am a Christian, <laughs> be careful what you say. Because do you then live and embody what that means? Because if you don't, quit telling them you're a Christian. If you're going to act like the world six days a week, but look really holy and righteous on the seventh day, keep it to yourself. Because you're making it bad for the rest of us that are really trying. But Nehemiah had an interesting position with the king. He was the cupbearer. Now you might say, well, that sounds like a pretty cushy job. Well, except if somebody was going to poison the king, they'd put it in his drink. And guess who got to drink it first? The cupbearer. He's going to dive into a good steak dinner. Somebody's put some poison in the meat. Well, guess who gets to try the meat first before the king? The cupbearer. <laughs> well, it took all the glamour away from the job, doesn't it? 
But Nehemiah was a cupbearer, and God had him in a strategic position because God needed something to happen to the children of Israel. So as he tasted the wine and the food for the king, he became a more trusted servant. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. That Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile and conquering, uh, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me that the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. Nehemiah felt and understood how God felt and how the sins of the people had created a problem with God. Now, he didn't point his finger at them. He took their sin upon himself and prayed as such. So in that verse, it says that he sat down, he wept and he mourned because of the way the people had neglected the things of God. Artaxerxes became an assistant of God. He was the son of Xerxes, husband of Esther. So God was using the most unlikely people to get done what He needed done. Because those who claimed they were His weren't doing it. Second Chronicles 7.14 7, tells us how God will restore Himself in this country or any country, in this church or any church, when He says, if, whose people? What's the verse? If my people, who are called by my name, you see. He didn't say, go out and find the most wealthy, go out and find the most pretty, go out and find the most successful, go out and find the most powerful. He said, if my people who are called by my name. So we've got to start in the church cleaning house. We've got to start in the church getting things cleaned up. Don't just go outside. And God has something great for your life. And He's not going to be done with you until it happens. You've got to get a part of that. You've got to dig in and be a part of it. Let's look at uh, some more verses. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the uh, 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 Ammonites and the Ashdodites <laughs> heard that the, and the parasites, anyway, heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. So these were guys on the inside. And guys on the outside. Bringing dissension. Trying to stop the rebuilding of the walls. Jump down to verse 10, chapter 4. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is falling, or is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. 
So opposition from without, opposition from within, takes us down to Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elul, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of who? Our God. Not just God, our God. Fifty-two. It had laid in ruin for ninety plus years. Fifty-two days, and you know the story. Each of the workers at the on the on the uh, walls would some would have a sword in one hand, the other a trowel in the other. Some would stand guard while those that worked worked, because people were coming. They were nuts. That's why they, they infiltrate the churches and they try to divide the churches. They infiltrate the bodies of Christ and they try to get them to think of other things and to get off on trivial matters. Because we do, we argue about trivial matters, amen? Or am I the only one that thinks that? We, we, we argue some of the most trivial matters. It really doesn't matter. Because if... if Tonight, an electrical storm happened, and the electric in the building, and by the way, well, I'll just leave it at that. The electric, say we had an electrical fire and a church building burnt down. Heaven forbid. Well, we couldn't have church anymore, could we? I mean, we're, we're done. What are we going to do? Rebuild? What are we going to rebuild with? Put a tent up. Probably need a permit. City might not let us have a permit to put a tent up. Buy Reesers, old store. Man, you guys are jumping out in faith. Unbelievable. Now, they only want $10 million for that. I've already checked. Chump change. I got it. Chump change. I'm with you. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, right? We just need him to sell a few cows. We're good to go. Hey, you never know. You never know. But couldn't we have? Can we have church and not have a building? Whoa! Did I hear? I heard more amens on that. I've heard a long time. Hey, we could go meet over at City Hall. They could use it. Fifty-two days. That's that's just absolutely amazing, isn't it? And the other nations were now afraid of them because of what God's people had done in such a short time. And they knew that it wasn't people. It was their God who had done it. Now let's jump down to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah 8. Starting verse 1. And all the people gathered as one uh, man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. You bet they were. 
So the whole point of the focus was not on Nehemiah and the people who actually built the wall. It was on Almighty God in His Word. Our victory is in God's Word. Amen. Amen. Jesus on the cross, He left the Word for us to follow. By obedience, we find victory. It's ours. We find healing. It's ours. Both physically and spiritually, we find it. We need, if you need peace, the Word of God will bring you peace. If you need help, it will bring you help. If you need reassurance, it will bring reassurance. If you need somebody to slap you upside the head, it can even do that. My mother did a much better job than God's Word did oftentimes because she used it when she would beat me upside the head with it. Amen? Any of you grow up that way? My grandmother was a master at it. She had a verse for every situation. I've looked those verses up. Some of them didn't really fit. But at the time, she was quoting King James. At the time, I just knew God was speaking. Amen? But just like the Truman Show, there's more to the story than meets the eye. And I want you to take away three observations. The first one is this. You might think the main character of this story is Nehemiah. This is in your outline. First fill in. But it's really all about God. It's really all about God. And the sooner we come to grips with that, doesn't it make life go a lot better? It's really not about you. never has been about you. never will be about you. But it seems like from the day we're born, we think it's all about us. And when we come to grips and realize that it's nothing about us, it's all about God, it just makes everything flow better. It just fits better. Because I'm here to serve God. I'm here to bring a glory and blessing to God. Because His promise is, once I get through with here, I get to be with Him forever. So just, just live, it, live it fully. In the Lord. Knowing He got something better. I don't think there's anything this world has to offer that's worth going to hell over. Now think about that one. Let that one mull around on you. And this isn't a story about Nehemiah and his leadership or his vision. It's a story about a God pursuing his people and keeping his promises because he said, I'm going to set up a nation in, the, in Jerusalem and you will be my people. He orchestrated this by having Persian kings provide all that they needed. Nehemiah chapter 2, second part of verse 8. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. The king gave to Nehemiah what he needed to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Sent letters, sent everything he needed to make sure. I'm telling you, he loved him. He loved Nehemiah, trusted him. And when Nehemiah was in tears and wanted to go and rebuild the walls, he, he, he sent his blessing. Sent his blessing. And you might think the story in your life is all about you, but it's not. You're playing a role in God's story. He's the main character. We're the supporting characters. It's not about what we can do, but what God can do. We focus too much on what we can do or on what we can't do instead of focusing on what Almighty God can do. Let's let Him do it. Because when He does it, it's real obvious. It's real obvious. When you were told you have an illness... And then you go back weeks later for testing and they can't find any of the illness. 
I was recently told that I had blood in my stool. Well, that's not a good thing for a guy at 60 years old to find out. So I started going through this barrage of tests. I even had to swallow a camera. How about that? And then I had to wear a belt all day to take pictures of the camera working its way wherever. They couldn't find anything. They kept saying, well, we can't find anything. I said, well, that doesn't surprise me at all. I don't think anything was there in the first place. But anyway, better to know for sure, right? I had a few people praying for me. And I appreciate those prayers because you know what? That makes a difference. It's a difference maker. But God is the main character in our life. Second observation I want you to take away is that you might think the plot of this story is building a wall, but it's really about building a people. It's about building a people. God was trying to get the children of Israel to be rebuilt. Now the walls were important. They were the focal point. But look how the people came together to do something fantastic. They've been laying for 150 years in ruins and 52 days, boom, it's up, it's gone. Now if you go back to the fellowship hall, if you haven't been back there in a while, go back there. There's no kitchen there anymore. It's gone. There's no kitchen. If you give us another week and a half, there'll be a brand new kitchen. And we've got more stories to tell you. Well, you guys are doing some, it's just God. It's all over us. It's just amazing. But God's building a people. It wasn't about the building of the walls, but about these people. In chapter 8, they were worshiping God and in the presence of God. And they were listening to the Word of God. People were crying so hard and Nehemiah sends them home and he tells them to go home and celebrate what God's doing. And while they're listening to God's Word, they hear about things that They've not been doing it. They start doing it and they become obedient and God brings more blessing. And isn't that the story that we've heard? They rebel and they come back and God brings a blessing. Then they rebel and they come back and then He brings a blessing. Over and over and over. Is that not true in each of our lives? (coughs) The Israelites rebuild the temple. And they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. But what God was primarily trying to do And what he was interested in was the development of his people. He was more concerned about the hearts of his people than he was about the construction abilities that they carried about that wall. More concerned with their presence than their projects. And you might think your story is about what you do for God. About the work you accomplish. But God is much more concerned with who you are becoming. With who you are becoming. It's easy to boil down our faith to show up at church and give a tithe. Both are important elements to, to each of us as believers. But God, God's not after our money. His passion is not that you're sitting in a chair. What God really wants is your heart. Because if He has your heart, He'll have you in the chair and He'll have your pocketbook. So, can we surrender all of our heart to God? That's the question of the hour. He turned heaven upside down. Upside down. To be in our presence. And He just wants you and me to share that priority. 
And that's the sum of the story, isn't it? God doing everything He can to be with His prized creation, which is us. And then the third thing I want you to take away and observe is that you might think the conclusion of this story is about God's people finally getting it right. But it's really about how left to themselves, they never get it right. And you know what? Some people just don't get it, do they? It reminds me of the story of the big city New York lawyer who went duck hunting in rural Tennessee. He shot and he dropped a bird and the duck came down and it fell just across the fence from where he was hunting. So he started climbing over the fence. But about the time the lawyer was on the other side of the fence, an old farmer pulls up on his tractor. And the farmer says, hey, what are you doing, sir? He said, well, I shot this duck and... I'm just retrieving it, and then I'm going to come back over that fence and do a little more hunting. And the old farmer said, well, you know what? That duck's on my property, so it's my duck. Well, that hacked this big city lawyer off, and he said, well, let me tell you something. Sir, I'm a, one of the big, biggest and the best trial lawyers in all of New York City, and if you don't give me my duck, I'm going to sue you for everything you've got. I'm going to sue you for, uh, I'm going to take you to the cleaners, I'm going, to, I'm going to sue you so much, I'm going to take your house away. What do you think about that? Well, the farmer scratches his head a minute and he says, you know what? We kind of handle small dis- disagreements a little bit differently here in Tennessee. He said, well, how's that? He said, we call it the three-kick rule. Well, how does that work? Well, one guy kicks the kicks the other guy three times. Then the other guy gets a shot to kick him back three times. And then they just trade off three times, three times, three times until somebody gives up and then they're declared the winner. Well, the lawyer looks the old farmer over and thinks, I can take this old coot. He said, won't you go ahead and start? Well, before he got the words out of his mouth, he, the farmer took those steel-toed boots and he kicked the man in the shin bone. Dropped him down to his knees. Immediately while the guy was trying to regain his composure, the old farmer took the steel-toed boot and kicked him nearly a hole right through him in his gut. The old boy started raising his head up and all of a sudden he he did a sidewinder kick across his head and about took his ear off. And the old boy was nearly unconscious and finally he leans forward and he says, You know what, old codger, now it's my turn. The farmer said, Nah, 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 nah. It's okay. You can have the duck. (laughs) some people just don't get it do they (laughs) if we're on into Nehemiah chapter 12 we see a lot of joy chapter 13 Nehemiah has to deal with sin again so they've done great right they've returned to God in a great way they've got full of joy they're listening to the word of God they're repenting and obeying all of a sudden toward the end of the chapter end of the book he's got to deal with sin again the book ends, and then that begins the summary of the Old Testament. That's what we've been studying. That cycle. They come to God, they turn away, come to God, disobey. The story's not a fairy tale, it's real life. As hard as we try, you might think it's about you getting better, you getting your act together, you finally getting it right, but the truth is all about it's all about how you will never get it right. You can't be good enough. As hard as you want to be, and as hard as you try to be, 
Your only hope is, is in admitting that you can't possibly do it. That you must surrender to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then you'll find the path to walk. And you'll find the strength to walk the path. The end of Nehemiah is the chronological end of the Old Testament. But that pattern's displayed again and again. We find it in the New Testament. Our sin, our broken promises, failed commitments. But this time they're punished on the cross. This time they're punished on the cross. All the righteousness we could not supply ourselves, He earned for us. And the story so far, God's people sin. God punishes His people. God's people sin. God punishes His Son. Nehemiah ends with God's people needing a Savior. And the New Testament, in 400 years of silence, and the New Testament begins with this verse. Joseph, don't be afraid. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name, say it, because he will save his people from their sins. Father, we just ask you this morning, as we prepare to move from the Old Testament into the New Testament, we end the Old Testament the same way it began, with people rebelling, with people choosing their own way over your way. So God, we're asking you this morning that if there's some people in this room who've been choosing their way over your way, today would be a good day to change that. Maybe they're here and they've never been baptized before. They'd love the opportunity to share with them, teach them what Scripture teaches. Maybe there's somebody here who wants to be a member of this church, baptizing you, been faithful to you, but just need a church home. We'd love to have them be a part of this one. God, I don't know what the needs are in the lives of the people here this morning, but you do. Maybe they just need somebody to pray for them. And we'd be more than happy to be your voices, your arms of love, and your tears of understanding. God, whatever need is prevalent, would you move in them so that they might respond today? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.